Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's great to have them with us, wasn't it? Singing with us and leading us in worship. Uh, I have uh, uh, four of my six children uh, spent a year or more at Word of Life, and it was a great blessing to them. So if you know a young person looking where God wants them to go, that could be a great place for them to, to start or to restart, maybe, as the case may be. Well, we want to welcome those who are joining our podcast today, right? Now, normally I don't say this, but can you guys, you know, say hi or clap something real loud to those who listen to the podcast? See? Okay, good. So... It isn't just me on the podcast, it's us on the podcast, and we're really, really glad that you're here listening and trust that God speak to you from his word. Well, we started our uh, sermon series on 2 Peter last week, and uh, there in chapter 1, we start off seeing that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in our relationship with Christ. Uh, he's, he's come to live within us. He's, he's slowly but surely working on us to, to shape us more and more to what he is like. Uh, that chapter 1 tells us that he has given us his word, which is so certain, so sure, you can count on it. Uh, and then something else that he's given us that we might not normally think of as a gift given to us. Uh, and that is um, we have the ability to make choices now that affect what we experience in eternity. And that is a great blessing. It isn't that stuff happens to us and the story's all written for us. No, we get to be a part and we get to make decisions about that. And we said that the first decision was this, that what you decide to believe about Christ in this life will determine your relationship with Christ in the life to come, right? In other words, while you are here on this earth, if you will receive Christ as Savior, when you go to heaven, Christ will be Savior there and, and great blessing. If you do not receive Christ as Savior in this life, when you leave this life and, and go to the next, then he will stand as judge and you will be found guilty for all of the sin and be separated from God for all eternity. And so that choice that we make now really matters. And, and so the gospel message, we all know, but let's, you remember what Peter said last week? I'm going to remind you. And then I'm going to remind you some more. And I make sure that even after I die, you get reminded. He wanted them to be reminded, didn't he? So I want to remind you of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, that every one of us has sinned against a holy God. Uh, we have violated his holy standards, and that has separated us from him. We might know that he exists, believe that he exists, but our sins have separated us as far as a relationship goes. And, um, and so that has to be dealt with somehow. Well, God loved us so much that he sent his son, the son of God, leaving heaven, coming to earth, being born as a man, the man Jesus, uh, living a sinless, perfect life. And as he dies on the cross, willingly so, the Bible says that God took all of my sins, every one of them, ever have or ever will commit all of your sins of the whole world and place it on Christ as he dies there on the cross and he pays the penalty in full. It is paid in full and rises again from the dead victorious over all this and offers to us that relationship that provides the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, we have to choose to accept his payment for us by receiving him as Savior. You see, we can say, no, no, that's okay, I'm gonna take care of this, I'll pay for it myself. 
Well, if you decide that you want to go ahead and pay for your sins yourself, you will be doing so for all eternity in hell. Okay? Sound like a really bad option to me. Uh, instead, you can choose to believe that Jesus is who he said he, he was and that he did what the Bible says he did and choose to place your faith in him. Receive him as Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Let Accept his payment for that penalty. But so we see that the decision has to be made in this life, right? There is no other chance. And really, if you think about it, we don't even know if we have another chance today, right? Tonight, tomorrow. Right now is the only time that you know for sure. And if you haven't received Christ, I encourage you right now, just in your heart, say, oh God, that's what I need and I believe and I accept that for me. Then we um, saw this. How you live on earth will affect what you experience when you arrive in heaven. Now, you know, what heaven is like is, you know, we don't really know. And, and I accidentally said this in, in the first service. I said, you know, I can only imagine what heaven is like. So wait, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? That's right. But it is true, isn't it? You know, the Word of God tells us different things, but to really imagine what it'll be like when we, we pass from this life to the next and we enter the presence of the Lord and, and what's going on. Well, there in chapter 1, it said that there are things that we can do, choices we can make, ways that we can live that will have an impact on that moment that we enter heaven. The Bible says we can have a grand entrance to heaven. In fact, Peter promised that. He says that a grand entrance to heaven if you will diligently add these things to your life. So start with your faith and then add to faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance. Add to your perseverance godliness and then brotherly kindness and love. And he says if we add these things to our lives, we work on this. He said be diligent about it. I, I want to add these things to my life then uh, he says, uh, uh, an entrance into heaven will be ministered to you abundantly. That when you, it, it will have made a difference, okay, on what you experience in heaven. By the way, I, I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago when I, uh, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, that I put together a bookmark, and those bookmarks are available, okay? It has that very list on it that if you will work on these things, it will affect how, what you experience as you enter heaven, okay? So I encourage you to pick one of those up, stick it in your Bible, and just let it be a reminder to you, and you can evaluate how you're doing on those things. So chapter one is really good news. It's just full of good news. Everything you need, and, and the word of God, and, and you can make these choices that are gonna affect, you know, make your entrance into heaven awesome. And then chapter two comes along and says, Here's all the problems. Here's all the th kinds of things that could derail you. Okay, so chapter one's the good news, chapter two's sort of the bad news. Um, and so you can go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter two if you want, we're gonna be in that today. But in this chapter, in chapter two, Peter starts talking immediately about false teachers and, and false prophets. Uh, those who teach the word of God in a way that is wrong and misleads people and robs them, maybe of a relationship with Christ, but certainly robs them of what Christ intends for them to have in their relationship with him. Now, let me ask you a question. Can somebody be um, wrong about something, but be very genuine and sincere in trying to preach the truth? Is that possible? Sure it is, right? I mean, I could be wrong about something. I'm, I try hard not to be, but I could be, right? So we need that sense of humility about that. 
So when Peter's talking about false teachers, false prophets, he's not talking about people like that who may be mistaken about this or the other thing. He is talking about those who actively, purposefully are teaching things that are wrong. They know that they, they have their own agenda. It isn't God's agenda, it's their agenda. And so he talks about them. And he talks about the focus of their teaching. Just, we're not gonna look at these verses, but just this will help you. He, he says about the focus of their teaching, it runs in one of two ways, typically. One of them is that Christ isn't enough. Okay, false teaching, Christ isn't enough. And this, you know, there are some major uh, religions that would call themselves Christian that this is really what they're about and what they're teaching. Because what they're saying is that, yes, Jesus did come from heaven. Yes, Jesus did die for our sins and rise again. Yes, he did. And we, wow, we're right on track here. And they say, but that's not enough. Now you, you need to add this religious ritual and this ceremony and these good deeds and this relationship with the church, and right? Because Jesus isn't enough, okay? And so that's false, okay? And so you need to help you to recognize that. The other side of this, the other side of the cliff they fall off is that Christ isn't needed, okay? This is where you might come into what we call more uh, liberal Christianity. Um, this is where they're saying, well, you know, yeah, Jesus might have been God, but we aren't sure, or, or he didn't really have to be God. He was a good man. You know, he taught lots of good stuff. And these principles, you know, just be nice person. And, and, and by the way, that means you don't have to worry about this sin or this sin or this sin. Or that. Don't worry about that stuff. You see, but Christ isn't needed. And so as you listen to someone speaking, as you read something, um, keep these things in mind and be alert to that. If you're reading, wait, Christ isn't enough. They're saying, then that's false teaching, okay? Or if they're saying, ah, Christ isn't really necessary. And they, they aren't gonna come out and say that specifically, but you'll catch it, okay? So that's what's going on there. Uh, in the first uh, three verses, I think Peter talking about that. Then we get in verses four through 11, and I might get some of these verse breakdowns wrong because I'm not looking at my Bible. Your Bible probably has paragraph markers, and that's kind of what we're following here. Uh, the next section, he talks about that God knows how to deal with false prophets and false teachers. He knows how to deal with this. He can judge them, he will judge them, and then he gives some examples. God judged the whole world with the flood. God is capable. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah as well for their false, okay, the things that they were doing and, and believing. Uh, so God knows how to deal with this. And he doesn't actually deal with this, but I gotta tell you, as, as I read on through um, in, in the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, a couple of summers ago, I just said, you know, I'm just gonna spend time in Jeremiah. I'm just gonna work my way through Jeremiah. And when I saw the devastation that came to God's people when they refused to turn back to him, it was terrible. But the idea is God will judge, won't he? Aren't you glad he's patient? Very long-suffering, very patient, but he will judge, very capable. He knows how to do that. He says that. And then in the next section, uh, he talks to us about what the true nature of these false teachers are. And he describes them this way. He says, but they, they're always speaking evil. They're, they have their own corruption that they're passing on. Uh, the unrighteousness and deceptiveness of them, adultery and sin, covetousness. He calls them accursed children, that they're working for the wages of unrighteousness and iniquity. Uh, pretty tough stuff he's talking about, describing what they are really like. 
And in the last part of the chapter, he talks about what their tactics are in a sense, that they will appeal to your uh, sinful nature to say, hey, this is okay or that's okay and give you a reason to justify something that doesn't belong in your life. And they'll give you a belief to justify that. And so it's really clear about this. Now, so chapter one, like I said, this is great news, a grand entrance to heaven. Chapter two, look out. You gotta be aware, alert to these things. And then, not quite in the middle, but almost in the middle of this chapter, Peter writes about a saved man. And by saved, I mean what I was talking about earlier when I talked about having received Christ, right? Receiving Christ's payment is the penalty for your sins. He, he, he forgives every sin and makes you righteous, okay? So that's what I mean when I say saved. Uh, he talks about a man who is a saved man. And that man is Lot. Now, when we go to the Old Testament and read about Lot in the book of Genesis, I'm not so sure I would think he was a saved man. <laughs> Okay, based on what I see there. But the Holy Spirit leads Peter right and tells us that he indeed was a saved man. And that's important for us to understand because that, that means that what he's going to talk to about us today applies to us. Are things that we need to learn. So let's go to this passage of scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2. Page 1,396 in the Bible that's in the chairs. And as always, if you don't have your own Bible, we encourage you to take one from the chairs and follow along with us. We're going to start in the section where he's talking about how God will judge and knows how to judge, and he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's start in verse number six. It says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Now let's just stop for a moment. How, how patient is God? How long-suffering is God? He lets peoples and cultures and, and churches go for a long, long time. So how bad do you have to become to where he finally says, that's it, and he, he wipes you off the face of the earth? Pretty bad, right? Pretty destitute here, I think, of uh, redeeming value. So it says he wiped them out as an example to those afterward who would live ungodly. Verse 7, and delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah, delivered righteous Lot. See, there he is, righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. That for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And so very clear, he, he says three times, righteous Lot, righteous man, his righteous soul. Lot was a saved man but he found himself in Sodom. And that's a problem. So let's talk about Sodom for just a little bit. What, you know, if, if I ask you, and I'm not going to right now, but if I had to ask you, what was Sodom's big sin? I bet I know what most of you would say. But let's look and see what the Bible says the sin was, and you might just be a little bit surprised. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, um, chapter 16, Ezekiel is... Um, challenging God's people and he's comparing them to Sodom. Now, anybody, in, any other men in here who are married ever hear anything like this, you know? If my wife, 
I don't think she does it on purpose, really, but if my wife wants to get to me, get under my skin, you know what she says? You're just like your dad. Anybody besides me ever heard anything like that? Yeah, or something right, you know, and, and anyway, um, she's making a point, right, because there's something in my life that's out of kilter, that isn't what it ought to be, and she's trying to get me to see it. Well, here in this passage, God has led Ezekiel to compare Jerusalem, Israel, God's people, to Sodom. How bad a deal is that? Well, you're like Sodom, okay? And that's what he's saying here. And then he talks about what Sodom was like. So let's start in verse 49. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Now, is that what you were thinking of earlier when I said about the sin of Sodom? Is that the list that came to mind? Probably not. But let's talk about this a little. It starts off with pride. Sodom was filled with pride. Now, we're not talking about pride like if we say, you know, we're proud of our children for what they do. We're not talking about someone taking pride in their work. That, that's just, what we mean by that is good, positive things, right? This is talking about pride where you make yourself be more important than you really are. This is what um, Lucifer did, right, at his fall. He said, what, I will be like the Most High. I'll be like God. I'll, I'll take the role of God in my life. And so that is behind really just almost every other sin. The sense that I will call the shots. I will determine what is acceptable for me to do. And uh, so in Sodom, what we had is this widespread sense of there was no consideration of what God might think was right or what anybody else thinks about right, because we're going to do what we want to do, our way. Now, add to that, he says, they had plenty of food. They, they were rich. They were wealthy. Add to that, they had plenty of leisure time. Now, let me ask you, if you give a bad person lots of money and lots of time, what happens? Bad stuff, right? Okay, and that's what was happening in Sodom. And then it goes on and says that they were hard-hearted, man. The people in, in their midst who were, were poor and needy, they didn't care about them. They didn't take care of them, so they were hard-hearted as well. Um, do you know, I, I just can't help but think that there's a lot of our nation in here. Has our... Is there, in popular culture, has there pretty much been a turning away from letting God or anybody else tell us what's right or wrong? No, you, you, you to tell me what's right or wrong, right? We're proud. Do, are we the wealthiest nation probably that's ever been on the face of the earth, probably? Yeah. Uh, do we have a lot of leisure time in our country? Yeah. Are we hard-hearted, I think? Yeah. I mean... Not every person. I'm talking about as a culture, though, right? So this is, we're a lot like Sodom in our nation, I think. But anyway, so he continues. Because they were like this, where did it lead them? Verse 50, and they were haughty. Haughty is an interesting word. You start thinking, well, what, what are some synonyms? Well, synonyms are arrogant, pompous. You ever call, <laughs> someone's a pompous, well, I won't say. Uh, 
right? I mean, this is their attitude, you know. Who are you to tell, you know, you can't tell me anything. And so they were haughty, and then it says this, and committed abomination before me. That's the stuff you were thinking about when I talked about Sodom. But I want you to see the stuff that the abomination was the result of being like this. That's the bad that it led to. So this is Sodom, and this is what Sodom is like. Um, so let's go back to 2 Peter. And before we actually look at it, let me, let me talk about Lot a little bit. So if we go back into the book of Genesis, in chapter 13, we, we see that uh, Abraham and Lot was his nephew, and that they both, their livestock is increasing, and, and they're starting to have a problem having enough room, enough food for all the livestock. So Abraham said, hey, we gotta kind of separate here. You go one way, I'll go the other. And the Bible tells us that Lot looked out across the plains, and he saw that the plains were well watered and, and green, lush, and if you are raising livestock, what does that sound like to you? A great place to raise livestock, in fact, to increase your livestock. That kind, in an in a agrarian livestock kind of culture, seeing that was seeing wealth, was seeing riches. Hey, I go there, I can get wealthy. I can get richer. Now, anybody here feels like me, I wouldn't mind being a little richer? Anybody, if you could use a little more money? Yeah, and that's not wrong. But here's what we see is wrong. The Bible tells us right after that, a verse or two later, it says, Lot looked at the plain and chose to go that way. And that way was toward Sodom. So Lot moved toward Sodom. Now here's the problem. It says that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked before the Lord. And so what Lot is making a choice to do here is to move closer to that in order to increase his wealth, his standard of living. You see what he's doing? Has he committed some big sin? No, not in and of itself, right? But we see, we're gonna see what's going on in Lot's heart here. Because the very next chapter, and I don't know how long it is after, not a long time, but Abraham has to go and rescue uh, Lot and the people of Sodom because of uh, someone had come and attacked and Abraham rescued. But what it tells us right in there, we find out that Lot is no longer living out on the plains. He has moved into Sodom. He's moved in. So Lot moved towards Sodom, then Lot moved into Sodom. And what do we know about this place? exceedingly wicked before the Lord. Now, I don't know why Lot moved in. Maybe it's going to be easier. Maybe it's easier to do business. Maybe whatever. And, and so they, he's in there. And he's in Sodom now. And then we get over to chapter 19. And, and this is where God judges Sodom. And, and we see that uh, when they, the angels come to see it, Lot is no longer just in Sodom. Now he's, he's one of the leaders in the gate, one of the leaders of the city. And we see how Lot acts. I mean, if, if you know the story, if, if, if you don't know the story, let me just summarize. Lot finds himself in a really lesser of two evils kind of situation. And, and he offers to give his, his young daughters 
to this crowd who are sexually perverse and violent in order to protect some, I mean, it's a bad choice. How could it be this way? Well, it's because Lot moved towards Sodom, Lot moved into Sodom, and it wasn't long before Sodom moved into Lot because he had exposed himself to it unnecessarily. Well, let's change the word. Let's don't say Sodom, let's say sin. Lot moved towards sin. Lot moved into sin, and then sin moved into Lot. Okay? So let's go back here to 2 Peter, and let's look and see what's going on here. Now remember, Lot is a righteous man. Lot is saved. Verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot. Notice God is going to deliver Lot out of Sodom before he destroys it. He delivers righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. So he'd moved into Sodom and it says now he's oppressed by what he's seeing around him, what he's experiencing. The word oppressed means to weigh heavily on a person in a way that wears him down. So he's oppressed and it weighs on him, weighs on him, and he begins to be worn down. Okay, verse number eight, we see a little bit of a shift here. It says, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So he is continually exposed to their sinfulness, their wickedness, he's continually seeing it, he's continually hearing it, and it says here is that he, he tormented his own soul. And, and the reason he how he tormented his own soul was by being there. He brought this on himself. Now, what does the word tormented mean? Well, one of the words that jumps right out when you say tormented, a word will say it means tortured. Well, what's torture? Torture is the infliction of suffering and anxiety that leads to a breakdown. If someone is torturing someone like that, right, and any combatant is torturing somebody, they are, um, you know, creating pain and anxiety, hoping to get this person to do what? To break down. And it says that's what Lot was doing to himself. He was exposing himself to suffering and ugliness and wickedness, and, and in the process, he is getting worn down to the point of breaking. And we do see that by the time the angels show up to destroy the city that he really has broken. So what's going on here? So let me read this to you. Lot's defenses were broken down and the awful infection of sin took root. In him, and but not just in him, also in his family. Slowly but surely, Lot's defenses were broken down by this constant exposure to sin. And why was he exposed to sin? Because of what? Because he chose to be. And so here's what happens. Lot's standards of right and wrong are no longer determined by comparison to God's standards. Because by being there, he finds himself confronted with the fact of, you know what? I don't have any good choices here. As long as I'm living here, I don't have any good choice. And so he's, he starts learning to do what? To choose between the lesser of two evils. And to do that, he has to learn to rationalize. And so he begins rationalizing and justifying why it's okay and this is better than this. Now, we would say, we never do that, right? I just want you to just, just uh, open up your heart and mind here to God a little bit and think. Have there ever been times where you did something that you knew wasn't right 
but you rationalize it in your own mind, you say, well, at least it's not like that. It's only a little, you see what I mean? This kind of thinking can permeate in us if we aren't careful. And then finally, in the process of all this, his wife and his children were swept away by the sinfulness of Sodom. He lost his wife and children. His job is to protect them from sinful things, not expose them to sinful things. And we see what happens. He's in the city and he has to he go try to tell his rest of his family, listen, God's going to destroy the city. We got to get out of here. And they, they said they laughed at him and thought he was joking. See, because of how he had lived his life. And then as they leave the city and, and they're leaving, his, he and his wife and his children and his wife just can't leave and she turns back. She's destroyed with the city. He's lost his wife. And his two young daughters who are with him they get him drunk and have sex with him so they can somehow rather have children. And where did they learn that? In Sodom. You see what I'm saying? This is devastating. And it all goes back to the fact that Lot made decisions to expose himself and his family to sin. And, and Lot did escape from Sodom, but listen, Lot escaped from Sodom, but he did not escape from his decision to live in Sodom. It had ongoing consequences, bad consequences. He's tormenting his soul in a brought disaster. And so obviously the question was, what about us? What are we doing? What ways might we make this same bad choice that Lot made? And so here's, here's the question. How much sin is it okay to expose yourself to? Now I got a problem with this question. The problem is it's not the right question. Because when we talk about how much sin is it okay, what are we doing? We're looking for permission. We're looking for justification. We're looking for how close can I get to sin? I want all the stuff that goes along with sin, but I don't want to do the sin. I want... And where's our heart, you see? Wrong question. Here's the question we want to ask. How much sin is it necessary to expose yourself to? And you might want to say none. Well, no, that's not true. But let's, let's, let's answer this question. How much sin is it necessary to expose yourself to? Only as much as is necessary to live your life in a sinful world and to live it wholeheartedly for the Lord. Because is it a sinful world you live in? Yeah. I mean, uh, you wake up in your own house and the problem is there's someone who lives there who sins. At least one person, right? So we start there. You turn on the TV. You go on the internet. You, you, you're going to be exposed to sin. You go out into the world. You're going to be exposed to sin. It's there. You can't live in this world and not be exposed to sin at some level. That's not the question. The question is, Am I exposing myself to sin when I don't need to? That's the question. You see, Jesus recognizes the fact that we're going to live in a simple world, and he prayed for us in John 17. He said, I do not pray, to, talking to his father, that you, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So we're going to be in a simple world, but we don't want to go follow the evil one in this sinful world. 
So how is it that we expose ourselves to sin unnecessarily? Um, I, I think there's probably two main ways that we do this, and there may be others, and if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about something different, don't tell him, oh, Walt didn't say that. <laughs> no, if the Holy Spirit says it, you run with it. But the first one is entertainment. Entertainment, okay? When you expose yourself to sin and entertainment, and it's so easy to do, Anybody besides me ever been watching a television show and maybe watched more than one of it? It's, it's really kind of cool. It's got your attention. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's this blatant, sinful stuff there that didn't need to even be there for you, to, you know, in the story. And, and you say, wow, you know, but that's only a little part of the show. And I really like this show. You see what you're doing? You're making a choice to expose yourself to sin when you don't need to, because you don't have to watch that show. Same in a movie, same when you're on the internet, surfing around the internet, uh, same in the music that you listen to, same thing in the books that you read. A number of years ago, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed, and still if I could find a good one, I would enjoy every now and then a spy novel or, or a military kind of a novel. Uh, but I remember a, a number of years ago now, we were on vacation, Glenda was driving, and I'm reading, I got a new spy novel by this guy who's supposed to be well-known, I'm reading, and, ooh, that's, you know, well, it's just one page, you know, and then later, oh, wow, that's, you know, and I, I didn't get very far through the book, and I finally said, I can't read this. I mean, I could, I could have justified it, but thankfully at that point in time, I said, no, I'm just not gonna do it. I don't need to expose myself to that. I don't need to put that in there. And I said, to set it aside, and that killed me. I wanted to read the book. Killed me is a strong word. <laughs> but so we need to be willing to video games. Um, and I'm not anti-video game, but there are video games that are like, oh, that's a pretty cool game, and all of a sudden, wham, there's this sexual immorality or this uh, gratuitous, crude violence, or you know what I mean? And, and our young people, mostly young people, are exposing themselves to that when they don't have to. So entertainment, and, and by the way, let me encourage you, if, if, if you have any struggle with this at all, I want you to copy Psalm 101 and stick it on your TV or on your computer monitor. Psalm 101, and, and a couple of verses says, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And it talks about more stuff that's like on TV and, and not anti-TV either. Do you guys get what I'm trying to say? Is that we should make some decisions that, that I don't need to be exposed to this. By the way, when you make that decision, I don't need to be exposed myself to this, all of a sudden you find out there's a lot of things you don't have to do. You might even discover that you have more time in your life to do good things. All right, so entertainment, the first one. The second one is people, people. Now listen carefully. If you're gonna reach unsaved people for Christ, do you have to have a relationship with unsaved people? Yes. Yeah? And if you have a relationship with unsaved people, are you gonna from time to time be exposed to something that's sinful? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's what Jesus did, right? Okay, we're trying to reach them. So I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about, not necessarily just an unsaved person, could be a Christian person, doesn't really matter. If you find yourself in a relationship 
where you are being pulled down and continually tempted yourself to sin, then you gotta make some choices. Young people, if you, any of you who are here in single, um, if you get into a relationship, what we, a romantic relationship, and, and you find yourself being in the place where you're constantly struggling and fighting sexual temptation, and maybe giving in and not giving, but you're fighting and fighting, you know, you may need to step back from this relationship. Wait a minute, this cannot stay. I, I can't do this. It isn't right. Okay? And then, so what are we going to do to fix this? What adjustments do we need to make? And, and you probably need to connect with someone who can be an accountability person for you, which if you're living at home, that's probably your parents. I couldn't tell my parents that. You better tell your parents that. It's worth it. You know, you do not want to be trading away your virtue for a relationship. It is never worth it. Never. And it may be that you finally decide this relationship has to end because it's not going anywhere good. Okay? Now, it may not be that kind of thing. It could be uh, a relationship with someone, and for, this is for any of us and all of us, we, we get together with someone, and the next we know, they're, they're telling us about this person, they're telling us about that person, and they're telling, you know what I mean? And, and you know in your heart that this is gossip which is not edifying, but you kind of like to know this stuff, and you're drawn. But you know, what are you doing? You're exposing yourself unnecessarily. So you need to make some adjustments there. You may need to limit that relationship. You may need to end that relationship. And by the way, it can be a Christian. That's the problem. And boy, there's lots of things we can talk about. I hope you're getting my, my sense. Let me show you. Here's, here's, the, um, here's how I, I said it when I wrote it down. Anyone, if your relationship is corrupting your morals, degrading your values, changing your language, shifting your priorities, then you need to adjust, limit, or end that relationship. Because you don't want to expose yourself to it. Um, Proverbs, I, I'm going to quote here from the message. I don't normally do that, okay? But I just liked how it said it. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Okay? This, if you're exposing yourself unnecessarily to this stuff, watch your life fall to pieces. So how much sin should we expose ourselves to? Well, we don't want to torment our soul. So here's, you expose yourself to sin only as much as is necessary to live your life in a sinful world and to live it wholeheartedly for the Lord. And if you're exposing yourself to more sin than that, you are beginning the tormenting of your soul process, which will eventually wear you down, and it will move in. It will move in. So, what if you're already doing that? You've already allowed that. Uh, first thing, you need to be honest about it. See it for what it is. Admit it. Admit it to God. Admit it to yourself. Uh, and then you need to do whatever it takes to stop the exposure. Whatever it takes, if it's, like I said, if it's adjusting something, limiting something, or ending something, you gotta do that. And then third thing, get help. You know, some things you might be able just to make the change and it's cool, you're great and heading in the right direction. If you find it, wow, I, I do wanna make this change, but I'm really struggling here, you need to get help. Find someone who can walk with you through this, someone who can help to mentor you through it, uh, whatever, right? Do what it takes. Don't be like Lot. 
And, and finally, the last thought here. The biggest focus here really shouldn't be the fight against exposing yourself. The biggest focus would be to say, I am going to live my life wholeheartedly for Christ. Lord, I want my life to be about you. I want to know you more. I want to grow to be like you. I want to serve you. I want you to love through me. I want to reach people for you. I want to be involved in your mission. And devoting your life to that. Because when you devote your life wholeheartedly to the Lord, this whole pull to expose yourself to sin really isn't nearly as strong. So really, that's what we need to do. Why don't you guys come on up? They're going to sing for us one more time here. But as they come up, let's, let's bow and go to the Lord in prayer here. Father, thank you for your word and that you speak to us so plainly about things. Lord, I pray that we would see, that we would really see clearly ways in which we are exposing ourselves to sin unnecessarily and that whether we realize it or not, we're tormenting our soul to the point of where it's going to do damage. Pray, Father, we'd see it and we'd start making decisions to, to no longer expose ourselves to those things. And I pray, Father, we'd do whatever it takes to succeed at this, getting help, opening up, admitting it. We need you to work in our lives, Father, as always. We, we can't pull this off on our own. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.